2016. Hey, what's up, Foundations Church? My name is Bobby. Super glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast. I am going on vacation. If I sound groggy, it's because I slept in. It's because I am almost already on the lake as we speak. Uh, For that, though, here's what's happening right now at Foundations Church. August 12th, 6.30, worship night. Corporate worship at its purest. Come give the Spirit the chance to do something great by doing what Woody Allen called 80% of the work, which is just showing up. Show up in God's presence. This is always one of my favorite things we do here at Foundations Church, and really great stuff happens. On August 14th, we're having pizza with the pastors again. This is your chance to meet the staff. It's the best place to get to know our church if you're interested in what we're about, or if you have specific questions that you'd like to be answered by your pastors. And then after that, August 21st, Market Days. It may seem cryptic. I know a lot of people don't seem to know what it is, but it's really just a chance to meet all your Connects group leaders and get involved in the community here at FC. So you can have some lemonade, meet a bunch of cool people, and discuss the last episode of Stranger Things in public because I guarantee we'll have all seen it by then. Just not yet. We're, we're getting there, I promise. Anyway, that's it. I'm going to the lake. I intend to spend the entire weekend sleeping in the sunlight somewhere, but I leave you in the capable hands of our great guest speaker, the inevitable. So would you guys help me welcome our good friend Aaron Frizzell. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I didn't hug you first service, but I'm going to hug you this time. Come on. Thanks, man. Love you too, buddy. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Listen, I I consider it such an honor to be here. Um, I, I don't take this lightly because uh, there's nothing like being able to, to, to stand in an opportunity to share God's word with you. I wanna do something, I did this in first service and I really believe this. There's something I, I do believe in not apologizing for and that is the expansion of God's kingdom. Uh, I think sometimes in, the, in our society because of the attack on the church, we kinda get this like, oh man, we don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings or act like we're trying to take stuff over. Trick that, we're gonna take over everything, all right? Because there's more people to be reached. Uh, I believe that every business needs to invest in the kingdom of God. I believe that every school needs to have somebody who's running a prayer group on it. I just believe in that. So I don't apologize for it. So if you, if you, if you feel that, that, that way, that kind of uh, feeble way, I hope that that gives you confidence. And if, um, if, if, if it's a pride thing, I know that the Holy Spirit will deal with that. Uh, so I'm not saying that arrogantly, but I just believe that God wants to expand the kingdom of God. And um, I noticed this morning, I got here early and I was kind of looking through the parking lot. There's an apartment complex right back here that butts up to the fence. And then there's a business building right over here. I don't know what all they do over there, uh, but I think those are two great places. I would love to see uh, that building become Foundations Church and you expand over that way. And I would love for that apartment complex to be taken, at least the back building, so that you can begin to train new pastors and ministers. So would you do me a favor? Uh, Would you stand with me for just a second? I didn't tell Justin I was gonna do this or Shannon, but I just believe that if God has me here, then he's gonna use my voice and and give you guys some faith and confidence. So uh, if some of you wanna reach your hand that way and if some of you wanna reach your hand that way, we're gonna pray that God would give these to Foundations Church and the kingdom of God can be expanded, all right? Here's the way I want you to pray though. I want you to pray that God would bless them so much so that they have reason to relocate and that means that those buildings are gonna be available so that Foundation Church will be the first choice to go. You know what? They're good people. Let's figure out how to get it to them. Let's pray right now. God, I pray over this apartment complex right back here that would be a great opportunity to have someone give it, buy it, invest it, gift it, whatever it happens to be, 
so that more ministers and pastors of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be trained, invested in, loved on. I pray that that apartment complex maybe would crave people who would just be living in those places so that they can love the community around them. I pray over this office building to our left. God, I don't know what they do over there, but I pray that you would bless them, expand them in everything that they do so that they have reason to expand and go somewhere else so that that becomes an opportunity. And God, if I'm totally off on this, I pray that you'd correct me later. But if not, we thank you for, the, for receiving those. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen, you can sit down. Hey, I come to you from Frisco, Texas, which is um, where we presently live. I'm the Hope, uh, excuse me, I'm the Connections and Care Pastor at Hope Fellowship. We've only been there for about four months. I love what I do. I help oversee all the front end volunteers and I get to do pastoral care, pastoral counseling, weddings, funerals, all that fun stuff. But I also live in an area that doesn't apologize for expansion. They say everything's bigger in Texas, right? And that's true. I live on a road, I live on Parkwood in Lebanon, and in my apartment complex, when I walk out, my road sits on something that they call 50 billion dollar mile. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? 50 billion dollar mile, right, because of everything that's going in there. I'm not a billionaire, but I meet a lot of people who live there, and that's their world. My, my son's friends at the school that he goes to, they invite them over to his house, and they live in houses like the size of this church. It blows my mind. And they're like, you guys should buy a house here. And I'm like, mm-hmm, later. I could live in your upstairs right now, okay? I actually did tell one mom that. She was like, where are you guys gonna move? I was like, we'll move in your upstairs if you want me to. It's totally cool. Jackson, you wanna do that? And he's like, yes. But let me tell you why I communicate that to you this morning, and I'll, and I'll move on. Um, People building businesses don't apologize for the fact that they're trying to build something, that when you drive by, it looks, feels, communicates something that tells you, I should go there and spend all of my money. In fact, I wanna repeat going there over and over. In fact, I wanna go there so often that I wanna get a credit card, open it with that business's name, and love what I get from them all the time, and I may even take on debt because I love going there. That's the business world, because they believe in their product. They believe in what they're doing. They believe that somehow it's gonna improve something in your life, and you know what, they should. But you should about the kingdom of God. You should know that you never need to apologize to say, hey, why don't you come help me build the kingdom of God? What in the world is the kingdom of God? Let me sit here and show you in this book right here. Let me talk to you all about this. Let me show you how God can change your life. And I'm not saying that just, well, you gotta have the personality for that and all that stuff. I've met people who have, I don't have my computer up here. You ever seen a dirty Macintosh computer? No, you don't, and you won't. They clean them, and especially all of us millennials, they spray this stuff and clean them, and they're the prettiest things in the world because they believe in an Apple product. They believe that it, 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 when, when they hold it, it says something about who they are. It's not just the function of the, of the computer, it says something about the community that they are a part of. But yet in the church, somehow, we have bought the lie to convince ourselves, well, because I'm part of the church, I'm just here to, just to be super gracious and humble and I'm, I'm never really gonna be super excited about what God's doing. I believe that you could stand confident to say, I believe that what I have inside of me, if I give it to you, it will change your life. That's why I believe in expanding the kingdom of God. And a $50 billion mile will expand stuff that I know my wife and I and my children will probably wanna go shop at, then why not the kingdom of God? 
I have a beautiful wife, her name is Reagan. We have three beautiful children, Jackson, who's 11 years old, Jada, who just turned seven, and then Ivy Grace, who just turned seven months. So we have a little taste of all the worlds, middle school, elementary, infant. Needless to say, I'm exhausted on three different levels all the time. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. I also love caffeine, which is my drug of choice to wake me up in the mornings and sometimes put me to sleep at night. But I get to work at a church um, I love serving at. I, I love it. My, my wife is the executive director of a, of a nonprofit that we started last year called Church Restored, which goes in the community and builds bridges and partnerships with the local church. And I'm honored to bring God's word to you this morning. So that's a little bit about who I am. Justin and Casey Graves are two of the finest pastors I've ever known, two of the greatest friends, most genuine people in the world. If you haven't bought Casey's book, I've read most of it. It will change your life. I really mean that. I'm not saying that because they asked me to do that. I'm saying that because I sat and cried in my own living room when my family was gone the other day reading it because I believe it's so powerful, the message of what God's done through that story. So I encourage you guys to get that. Let's hop into God's word, but I wanna tell you a few stories first. There's a guy by the name of Michelangelo. You guys have heard of him, long historian. He's someone who is a great artist, great sculptor. In fact, there's all kinds of sculptors, thing, things that he's done with stone. But here's the deal. Michelangelo, they came to him, and of course, anytime someone is an expert in a field, they come to him and go, are you so good at what you do? And he said, you know what? I don't really come up with what the stone is supposed to be. He said, I believe that what's in the stone is already there. My job is to chip away what should not be there. And he said, sometimes I'll stand back and I'll look at the stone and just yell, come out, come out. And he said, eventually I yell long enough and I stare at it long enough. He said, and then all of a sudden I realize what's inside that stone and I begin to remove everything else that should not be there. And it becomes what you see. That's an interesting concept because most of us in today, we say, well, this is my vision, this is my goal, this is my business, this is my whatever, I have this and I'm going to eventually make it happen. I believe that Michelangelo in that spirit of what he said about his, about his art, that's the same way that God does in our lives. In fact, I'm reminded of the story of Lazarus where who Jesus was so close as Lazarus and his sister comes and, and says, hey, you, my brother's sick and he, you know, he's, he's, he's gonna die and he's like, okay, great. So you know, four days later he comes back and he, hey, he's dead. Oh, he's, they're all ticked off. Jesus, you should have come. And what does he say? Come out, Lazarus, come out. God already knows what's inside of you. And by his grace, he spends a lifetime not only put Jesus on this earth, starting with him as a son of God, put him on this earth in physical form so that we could have a book that we write about his life, which, re which reflects the heavenly father. But now all through life, he's constantly chipping away by his grace the things that should not be on you so that who you really are is what is revealed to this world. And I love that about God. And I believe that's part of how we understand when we get close enough to the things of God things begin to chip away. You would call it conviction. You may call it just your conscience. We would say it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, but things begin to chip away, and now all of a sudden there's this new joy, there's this new life, and you discover what it is that you were supposed to be and what you're called to be. I would, um, I would challenge you with this statement. In fact, you can write this down. This is a good way to kind of think about it because my prayer by the end of this uh, talk this morning is I, I pray that the staff is overwhelmed with people wanting to volunteer here at the local church. Just, I mean, they're just overwhelmed. They're like, man, we don't even have enough spots. 
Like we're gonna have to make up 20 new teams. We're gonna have to, figure, we're gonna have to get new buildings to put new people in to come up with new teams because I believe so heavily in the things of what, what God will do in your life when you volunteer and you become a part of a local church. I believe this statement. If you are not serving, you are swerving. You write that down. If you're not serving, you're swerving. Let me explain this. They say that most wrecks, like, it's like 80-something percent, okay? They also say that 90-something percent of percentages are made up on spot. So, you know, that's probably a lie, what I just said. But it's a high percentage of wrecks happen two miles from home. You know why? Cruise control. Your brain goes, and you just kind of go the route that you've always gone. And all of a sudden, because you've gone to that stop sign 4,000 times, you just kind of slowly roll through the stop sign because you forgot, oh God, there's a stop sign there. And you get broadsided or you hit somebody. Well, I believe that the same thing happens with us. We come in and we're like, yeah, I'm going to church, it's a Sunday. I always go to second service and I sit in this seat. Oh man, this is great worship, they're so talented. Man, this voice. Dude, this guy, I don't, I don't remember what his name is. I would like for him to serenade me at nighttime. It's just like those cool timbers and with his skinny jeans and his paws instead of jaw shirt. He's just so cool glasses. Just, you know what I'm saying. If there's any single girls, you should holler at him. So, so here's the thing, though. If you're not serving, you're swerving, right? In life, we get so mundane. Well, I think church is boring. No, what? No, you're boring. Well, that's really rude, Aaron. No, it's, no, it's not. It's truth. Why do you think they have evaluations at your job? Because they don't want you to get so bored that you become ineffective. It's constantly saying, God, wake up something inside of me. Wake up something new inside of me. I believe that when you're serving and you are in that process of meeting new people and investing in new situations, going on a missions trip, and maybe asking God, oh man, God, I'm just used to giving like $5, but man, I'm gonna step out and do something a little bit more extravagant. And all of a sudden, the faith oh, turns into kind of this fear, and then you do it, and you step out in faith, and then God answers back with something significant, and you go, Oh man, now you have this new story to tell people. When we get to a place where it's mundane, we become just swerving in our faith. Well, this, this church over here looks more exciting. Oh, this one over here looks more exciting. I told First Services, I'm gonna say this to you. I pray that Foundations Church, and I'm gonna explain this. I pray that Foundations Church becomes where people come here and they are underwhelmed by maybe what they do or do not spend money on. Maybe it's not as flashy as another one. They're underwhelmed by that, but they're overwhelmed by the presence of God and the life changes they see happening. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for boring church either. I like lights, I like flash, I like loud guitars. I say turn the drums up. I mean, my past experience in youth ministry would tell me just crank it out until people's ears bleed. Although I am getting a little bit older and I don't want my ears to bleed, okay? But I do know this that if we get our focus off of what God wants to do in the kingdom of God and how we think it should look in the kingdom of this world, we swerve just a little bit. Let me tell you why I know this, because I, I openly admit to you I am a recovering perfectionist, all right? What does that mean, Aaron? It's what I go to counseling for. It's because I care too much about what other people think and care less about what God thinks. It's because I worry about what I look like or what I say or how it comes across or the way it's perceived by people. And that perfectionism eats away something on the inside. It may not be something you can see on the outside, but it's something I constantly deal with. And how is that fixed? By the grace of God. God's grace reminding me that what I am is good enough 
and who I am is good enough. I just need to be able to just share that with people. Whatever it is that you made me, God, this is who I am. Here we go. I openly admit I like eating habits that keep me at about 220. I wish I had eating habits that were like 190 and exercise habits. I love the guys that do Iron Man and all this stuff, and I'm gonna tell you a story in just a second, but you know what? The truth is I get out there and I exercise just enough to stay where I'm at. That's my issue. I don't know what yours is. But perfectionism will eat you away because then you become, well, I need to find a way of becoming on the exterior the Christian that everybody thinks I should be. No way. You go find people who are lost and hurting and broken. You share hope with them, and they will latch onto you like the leader of thousands because you're offering something that nobody else did. It's hope. That's what the church does. Let me tell you a quick story. There's a friend of mine by the name of Ricky Hinman. Ricky Hinman is an Iron Man, and he blogged about all of his experience. He would blog sometimes and say, headed out for a four-hour bike ride. It made my you know, lungs hurt just reading that. Like, dude, what could you do else with four hours? You could eat a lot of burgers in four hours. I'm just saying, okay? Headed out for a six-hour run, and you know, he's training for this Ironman. He gets into it. After it's all over, he said the most inspiring story about volunteers. This is why I want you to understand. My whole job at my church is I recruit, train, and invest in volunteers, and I put them into the kingdom of God through the local church at Hope Fellowship. So this is why I'm passionate about it. He said this. He said, I never realized the power of a volunteer until I did the Ironman. He said, I went through the swim. He's feeling good. He's swimming. He said at one point he had to elbow a dude in the face because he kept trying to push him under, and he elbowed him and pushed him back, and he kept pushing through. He was telling all these little details about it. He got out of the water, hopped on his bike. It's like a 120-mile bike ride or something. Just so you guys know, an Ironman is uh, insane swim, step one, insane bike, step two, and then insane run, step three. So it's all just, it's three layers of stupid, but you get a cool medal and you have this jacket. It's like, I'm an Ironman, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's awesome, but it's also e equally dumb. So, so he gets to the swim, then he gets on his bike, you know, just, I mean, he had to have been building up some muscle back there. You ever ridden a bike for four hours? How about four minutes? And you get off and you're like, oh, dear God, ah, oh, ah, oh. <laughs> yeah. Long bike ride, 120 miles, I think, something like that. Then the run. He gets in the run, first 10 miles down, he's feeling good, he's got a good rhythm, got a good pace. And all along the way, his family was able to follow him throughout the journey until the last 10 miles. In the last 10 miles, he was on the backside of a hill and all the people by that time had spread out so far, you were just kinda hoping you were on the right trail going to where the finish line was. And he said all of a sudden he got this overwhelming sense of loneliness and fear and anxiety. And he said, I can't even explain it other than the fact that my body was exhausted, so my mind really didn't have enough strength to process thoughts well. I just knew, why am I out here? What am I doing? And he said all of a sudden there was a hill and he was going up, just, I mean, just trying to eke his way up, last 10 miles. And he hears some claps, just real faint. And then he gets a little bit closer and all of a sudden the claps are getting louder and he hears a voice. See, because his family couldn't come on that backside. So the only people back there were volunteers just to dedicate themselves and say, this is gonna be a hard point in this journey. 
And they were saying, man, come on, you can do it. Yelling out the number that they saw on his jersey. Come on, you got this. You got this. You can make it. You're going to make it. You're almost to the finish line. You're almost to the finish line. You only got 10 miles left. You can do this. And he said they had this line of volunteers for like five miles. And he said, man, the life, the life that was breathed over me just through words of encouragement, through a clap, through someone saying something, believing in the fact that I could do what was in front of me. Ladies and gentlemen, let, let me just tell you something. If you've never experienced volunteerism at the local church, please let me give that picture to you in your mind and know that is the kingdom of God at its finest. That people, when they walk in, you got a single mom, or maybe you have a business person who's just had some transaction go wrong, and he's in so much debt, he doesn't know what he's going to do, and he shows up looking the part, but all of a sudden, someone comes in and says, man, how you doing today? I'm so glad you're here. God's got something for you today. And all of a sudden, the God's got something for you today translates into, wait, maybe I'll make it. And he gets inside, and the wait, maybe I'll make it turns into, I think I'm gonna make it. And the I think I'm gonna make it turns into, if I give my life over to Christ, I'm definitely gonna make it. And the I'm definitely gonna make it translates into, tomorrow morning, he gets another phone call that he didn't know that God already had lined up. And all of a sudden, now things turn around. Why? Because of a volunteer at the front door that said, hey, so glad you're here. God's got something for you today. You realize the power of the community and the kingdom of God is greater than any other kingdom ever, anywhere, period. Because you operate with the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, dwells inside of you and dwells inside of me. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, although sometimes our culture gets it confused and we think that it's about pretty and coming with the coolest church and the trendiest things and all that stuff, you suck, the, you suck the will of God and the spirit of God out of a building. It's just a bunch of people trying to posture themselves to say, I'm okay and I'm glad I'm here and I feel better because I'm going through the motions. And they become swerving in their faith. They have no no clue of why they're doing it, but you attach the spirit of God to it. And now a baby goes into a nursery and a single mom brought them there and a volunteer is changing a diaper and they think, man, how does this baby even know that I'm saying anything that matters? It's an infant, but they tell them a story of the grace of Jesus Christ. And maybe they tell them a story of Jesus and yeah, they're an infant. Can they hear anything? Absolutely they can. Because the presence of Almighty God rests in that volunteer's arms. And because of that, the kingdom of God changes a family destiny. That's the power of it. I don't know if you're like me, but when I talk about it, don't you want to sign up for that? Absolutely. I want to be a part of that. But see, as a community, we have to remind each other. There's times where as volunteers, we're there to clap for the other volunteers, to invest in them. Let me give you a story about this because I think there's five layers of learning that we can kind of walk through here for just a second, and this will make sense. Levels of learning, first you have awareness, then after you're aware, you can recall the information, then after you can recall the information, you understand what the information means, then after you understand the information, you get to a place of conviction about it, and once you get to a place of conviction about it, you begin to apply it to your life. The truth is, in the church, sometimes we wanna skip steps that's called discipleship, is going from just information and awareness and recall, not conviction, application. 
I wanna tell you about this because we've heard this statement before. You guys have heard this a million times. Feed a man a fish, feed him for a day. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. I wanna challenge everybody who's an usher in here. If you're an usher in here, grab a young person and let them usher right beside you. Keep them in your hip pocket. Show them what it is. Just take up buckets and take it to the back. Pray over it. If you're a greeter, grab a young person, bring them beside you. Show them how to look someone in the eyes and say, hey, welcome, glad you're here. Say words of encouragement. If you're a, ch- if you're a youth worker, Grab someone who is totally disconnected with this generation and all they do is sit around and go, well, this generation is blah, 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 blah. Grab the most complaining person, bring them to a Wednesday night and say, hey, I want you to see what God's doing in youth service on Wednesday nights. Look at what God's doing. What music's too loud? Give them earplugs. Get them some of those cool earphones, put cool stickers on and say, I love kids or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, get them here and let them see what God's doing. Because the more we get people around what God is doing, the chipping away happens. How do we know that's true? Let me read this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. Can you guys tell I'm a little bit excited about this? I think my coffee's worn off too. I just got water. I need to pee. It's okay to say, right? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Parable of the talents. For it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. You realize God entrusted Justin and Casey and all the staff to this property to steward this well. This may not always be where it's at, but right now this is what God's entrusted you. Wherever your house is, wherever your business is, God's entrusted you with that property. And he's gone away to make a place for you in eternity. Says to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had talents with he made five talents more so also he who had the two talents made two talents more but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and his and hid his master's money now after a long time the master of those servants came came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying master you delivered me five talents here i have made five more His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy joy of your master. I love that statement. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made you two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was fearful or afraid, and I went went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with at least a little interest." So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me break this down for you in three simple thoughts for you this morning. Number one, look at what you've been given. Social media does a weird thing. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I love what it has the capability of doing with a global message. 
But I hate the fact that most of the time I look on there and compare myself to others. I do. I don't know that you do. I find myself flicking through stuff going, man, their hair is cooler. Man, they're my same age and they look a lot more fit and have more kids. Man, I'll bet they make great money. Dude, their vacation is awesome. Where's mine? Man, look at the city that they live in. Man, look at the friends that they have. Man, it seems like they don't really care what everybody else thinks. They're just kind of living their life. I just go through, think all this stuff. Man, all these thoughts come into my mind. And I have to stop and say, okay, what is it God called, has called me to do? What is it that I have? I want you to stay this with, say this with me and we're gonna illustrate it. Say, what I have is what God wants. Take your two fists, take them like this, hold them real close to your chest. Say this with me. Say, what I have, and then do this, is what God wants. We're gonna do it again. What I have is what God wants. Okay, you don't have to do that anymore, but I'm gonna do it a bunch. I want you to understand that. This is the posture of our lifestyle as Christ followers. God, thank you for the children you give me. I give them back to you. God, thank you for the marriage you've given me. I give it back to you. God, thank you for the position at my job that you've given me. I give it back to you. God, thank you for the finances that you placed in my life. I give them back to you. God, thank you for the challenges that I've walked through. I give them to you. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given me. I give them back to you. So often what we do is in reverse. Thank you, God, for what you've given. I'm gonna hold on to it tightly. Thank you, God, for giving me more. I'm gonna keep that too. Get all I can, can all I get, and sit on my can. That's kind of catchy, right? What I have is all God wants. God doesn't say, come up with more, then give it to me. All these people did as servants said, this is what I have, I'm gonna do something with it. Now, I believe God multiplied it, and I also believe that you can take that talents and translate it to relationships. Because money is the, the thing that fuels our economy. That's true. Nobody can deny that. But what you do for the kingdom of God is always more significant than what you do for money. What you do for money fuels what you can do for the kingdom of God. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that all, if all you're doing is what you can do for money, you will reach a point where money becomes no satisfaction to what you can do. I've met very wealthy, miserable people. I've met amazing wealth, wealthy people. I've met godly wealthy people. In fact, I know a guy who lives right here in this city. I've never seen a more giving family than him and his wife and all of his kids. In fact, so much so, I was at, um, I was at a place with them and I, I was with one of his sons and we were on a boat and he had a buddy that he invited. We had some leftover life jackets from some youth trip that we went to and I said, hey, uh, do you guys need these? So I, I don't really have a reason to take them back. And, and his, his buddy goes, oh, dude, I'll take them. I need those in my boat, for my boathouse. And his son looks at his friend and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't take from the church. You give. No. And I thought, wow, what a powerful thing that's been passed on to his kids. So what I'm telling you is this, this family realizes that what they do for money has always expanded the kingdom of God. Because I can promise you at the end of your life, there's only one thing you can take, and we all know that, it's relationships, it's people. So if people are attached to what you do in money because you expand it through the, through the kingdom of God, what does it say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's in people. And these, these servants said, I'm gonna find a way of expanding 
what I've been given into something more so that when the, when the, when the master comes back, I can tell him, look how well I steward. I expanded what you gave me into something greater. And you know what I love about it is the fact that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over something small. I'm gonna give you something greater. Now, here's the scary part about that is in our humanity and our selfishness, we go, well, I've been faithful over something small and God hadn't expanded jack squat. Well, maybe he hadn't come back to return on what your investment is, because I promise you he will. I promise you. It may not be financially, but you may need a miracle in your life that has nothing to do with finances, but because of that miracle, you realize, man, I have life. I have air in my lungs. My child survived something. I got through cancer. My kid came back to Christ who was long lost. It, it, hey, the money's not the big deal right now. The people really matter. All God wants is what you've got, though. I would say I would challenge you today, go home and just simply write, what do I have? Talent, creativity, maybe you're super artistic, maybe you're great with money. All, write all those things down and just say, just say over, God, whatever this is, I get it. Do with it what you wanna do. Do with it what you wanna do. Second statement I wanna say this morning, discover your why and go with it. Discover your why and go with it. Let me say this statement. I learned this from a guy by the name of Simon Sinek who uh, wrote a book called Start With Why. He's a great, great leadership guy. Really challenges the leadership thinking of a lot of leaders and how they push to the bottom line. He says push to people, not the bottom line. And people will always reward you better than the bottom line. Okay, so that's kind of his thing. Let me, let me tell you what statement he says. He says people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Think about the life of Jesus for just a second. The disciples didn't really buy into what he was doing, walking around, healing people, talking to people, recruiting people, all that stuff. They bought why he was doing it. Because he had this understanding that his life was not ending with what happens in this world. There was something beyond. And that why motivated everything that he did. It motivated him to forgive when he could have held a grudge. It motivated him to be peaceful when he could have started a war. It motivated him to not take a position as the son of God. I mean, for crying out loud, who greater than just to say, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and be the CEO for a little while. And yet it says that he didn't come into this world to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. People don't really care what you do as a Christian. They do, but they don't, they don't buy into what you do. Well, I go to church every Sunday and, and Wednesday and I, you know, volunteer this and I tithe and I, you know. They wanna know why you do it. Why do you, why do you, why? Why give up your money? What's the point? Why? Let me give you a why. Because some of you guys are sitting there going, why do I do what I do? It's a good question. Maybe I should leave right now. I don't really. <laughs> don't leave. Let me give you a why. To be an extension of the presence of Christ. When you forgive, when it would be easier to hate, you extend the presence of Christ to people around you. When you give of your time, when it'd be easier just to rest more, you become an extension of the sacrificial presence of Jesus Christ. When you pray over somebody who is your enemy and you pray maybe around somebody who, who knows you have every right to hold a grudge to that person, but you say, you know what, I'm gonna pray that God just does something in their life and I'm gonna release forgiveness to them. When you do that, you become an extension of the presence of God. 
When you hold snotty-nosed kids and change diapers and do all the stuff that happens in kids' ministry, or you hang out with teenagers on a Wednesday night, you hang out with a bunch of middle schoolers that are trying to figure out where they're at, and you're just there trying to do a Bible study and love them and hang out with them, and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but you just love them anyways. You're an extension of the presence of Jesus Christ. That's a great why for you. And the why behind what you do will keep you motivated. Just like Ricky, who was running his race, his why was to push past limitations that he felt were always weaknesses in his life. I'm gonna push past them. I'm gonna prove that God's strength in me will allow me to see myself stronger than I've ever seen myself. I will push past them. That was his why. And it kept him going when it got tough. Your why, if it is not defined, the world will come up with a new why and that's what you will follow. I promise you that. They're really good at it. But find your why and run with it. Take what you have, release it. Find your why and run with it. Last thing. Do it for Jesus, not Justin. I know that sounds kind of tongue in cheek and I meant to write it that way, but I wanna just be honest with you. I love, uh, my, my father is a senior pastor. He's been in Miami, Oklahoma, northeast corner of Oklahoma for almost 15 years now. And I've been in church my entire life. I've met some of the most impressive leaders in the world. I've followed on Instagram and watched sermons of some of the best communicators I've ever seen in my entire life. But you know what I've realized over time? I'm gonna put myself in this category, okay? All of us broken human beings on our best day are nothing in comparison to the perfection of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you this in advance, and maybe some of you in this room already feel this way, so I'm just gonna give you freedom to forgive them, all right? If you have been serving, greeting, ushing, kids, youth, hospitality, whatever it happens to be, and you've started saying in your mind, you know what, Pastor Justin hadn't really sent me a thank you card in a while. He hadn't shaken my hand and hugged my neck, told me how much he appreciates me. You know what? I think it's a good time for me to step out. You may be right, but that means you're serving for Justin, not Jesus. If God called you here, then you're here because Jesus called you here. That, that's who called you here. You happen to love the leadership that is in place. But I promise you, if your why is because of a human being who's broken, they will disappoint you. Even the best ones with the most grace and the most loving will have a bad day and on that bad day they'll say it at the wrong time, at the wrong place and someone will be offended and then people will leave or they'll get frustrated or whatever because we're all broken and then we're all reminded, wait a second, why did I sign up for that in the first place? Is it only because Pastor Justin was so energetic and so compelling and so fun and so great that I wanted to sign up on that day? I promise you, if that's the reason, then just get ready for the day you're gonna be offended and you're gonna leave. But if you're doing it for Jesus Christ, then on the worst day, you know what your role is? It's to go encourage the person you think should be encouraging you back. Gandhi was pretty smart. Be the change you wanna see in others or see wanna see in the world. That's us though. If you want encouragement, constantly be the encouraging spirit. If you want appreciation, constantly be the appreciating spirit. If you want validation, constantly be the validating spirit. If you want positivity, be the positivity constantly. 
If you want to be in the presence of God, constantly be an extension of the presence of God. If you want to see extravagant giving, be an extravagant giver. So here's my challenge to you today, all right? Here's my black tape markers up here, okay? If you're here and you've never done jack squat in the church, that's awesome, because you're about to go on the ride of your life. Here's my challenge to you. Take one step forward. Volunteer for one thing, the easiest thing that only happens a few times a year, and just test the waters. They give you permission to do it, all right? If you have volunteered and you've done it for quite a while, take one step further. Begin leading other volunteers. Become the recruiter for what you already do. Get five people around you. Become the leader of new volunteers. If you have given, zero. That's cool. See what God wants to do. Give five bucks. See what God does. If you've tithed faithfully, tithe a little bit more. See what God does. If you've tithed a little bit more and you give to missionaries all together, become an extravagant giver. Test God in it. All I'm saying is, very beginning of this, title, progress, not perfection. If we are constantly moving forward, you know what constant motion does? It causes our minds to be forced to think differently. Remember I said at the beginning, and I know it sounded mean. If you're bored with your walk with Christ, it's because you're boring, not because Jesus is boring. Go to the most difficult neighbor in, neighborhood in Tulsa and find out if you believe that God's gonna protect you. Now don't do it if God didn't call you to because you might get shot and then you'll blame me, all right? So don't do that. But what I'm saying is allow God to place you in an environment to say, okay, God, this is what I got. I'll give it to you. This is what I got. Oh, I'll give it to you. And over time, because of fear and anxiety and bad choices and people treating you horrible and all those other things that happen, what, what becomes normal for us, especially as we get older, as we go, oh, I can at least tell people I'm surrendering something. But man, when we're younger, gosh, and we just say, oh God, I surrender everything. I don't even know what else I would do without you. Give me purpose define who I am, chip away all the junk that shouldn't be there, and let who I'm supposed to be just shine to show who you are. Man, you, you, everyone in this room, you're such a beautiful, amazing people. And as God chips away pain, anxiety, fears, frustrations, gosh, bitterness, man, as God chips it away and all of a sudden this new you comes and people go, what's different? I'm, I'm just reaching to be an extension of the presence of God. That's all. I still got my hurts and God's still working on them. I still got my offenses and God's still working on them. But you know what? I'm just trying to be an extension of the presence of God. Your, your co-workers will notice a difference. Your family, your kids will notice a difference. Your wife, your husband will notice a difference. The teenagers around you will notice a difference because it's the spirit of God inside of you coming out. It's no longer your flesh trying to prove that you're good enough. Does that make sense? Let grace bathe you enough to step into it. I'm gonna close with this statement because the scripture says, and I love to hear this, and this is what I pray that all of you hear someday in life. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. Anybody in today's society need just a little bit more joy? You ever just need to laugh a little bit? 
I say this, if you can't laugh at yourself, laugh at somebody else, you know what I'm saying? It'll free you. I'm just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> because like, wait, what? I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying though? We need a little joy. And the way we enter into that joy is constantly saying, God, you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. You know why I can preach this with conviction? Because two days ago, I sat down with my wife and we were trying to figure out how to get out, into, out of our apartment and into a house. And she showed me a house and it was awesome. And we might be able to rent it. We might be able to get into it. And it is way the heck over budget. But she somehow feels that this is the one, this is the timing, and God's gonna answer it in some sort of way. So you know what, when I'm talking about all this stuff, hey God, I give you what I got. I'm like, no, 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 my budget don't say that, Lord. I ain't trying to be stupid. And I had to go, you know what, God? Whatever you wanna do. I'm not gonna be ignorant, I'm gonna be wise. But I'm gonna give it to you. I surrender it to you. I wanna experience the joy of my master. And I know that you do too. Can I pray over you this morning? God, thank you for these great people. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord. Thank you, God, for your anointing over this church. God, I pray over Shannon. I pray over Justin, over Casey, Sammy. God, all the team, youth pastor. I forget his name, but you know his name, Lord. God, thank you for who they are. God, thanks that you just let us be vulnerable. God, that we can deal with the fact that we have this perfectionistic attitude that we're trying to fix all of our stuff before we come to you. And you just say, hey, come follow me. I'll change you. I know when to do it and why to do it and how to do it and what I need to do it with. So God, we just, we just take our, our, our clenched fist of all the stuff that who we are or who we think we should be, God, and we just give it to you right now. God, I pray that you would take who we are no matter how insignificant or significant that it feels to us at this moment in life, we give it to you. God, we don't serve man, we serve you. And God, if you've called us to serve you, God, then you will sustain the strength to serve as long as you've called us to it. So expand who we are, God. I pray that we would not swerve, but God, we would serve because of who you are in our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way. I want to stop in this moment. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If there's anybody in this room, you say, man, I'm, I'm hearing about this and something about this kind of communicating something to me. That's called the Holy Spirit. And you say, you know what? I don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be your step one. Just saying, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in this room, I'm not going to count to three out of emotionalism. I want to count to three out of you knowing that there's a moment to make a decision this morning. If you say, I want to say yes to Jesus Christ and have that relationship, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand wherever you're at. One, two, three. Today's your day. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Anybody in this room? everybody stand to your feet for just a minute we'll close with a song I want to pray two prayers over you and I believe this with deep deep conviction if there's an empty chair beside you it is your job to fill it no it's pastor's job no it's not remember I told you we're not that good if we can't do it together we can't period I'm going to pray that God will put someone in your mind sear it in your mind a name of someone that should be sitting beside you next week. Isn't it weird to think if all of us just brought one person, one singular person, next week this church would double? That'd be awesome. 
I would love for the pastor to be freaking out, going, where'd all these people come from? I don't know, I just brought one person. And all of us brought one person. What can we do for the kingdom of God? Don't apologize for expanding it. Find the most lost, godless person you can find and say, hey, why don't you come with me and evaluate this thing that I do on Sundays? Just sit in there and see it. The most godless person that you would think like, they might even have a relationship with Satan. Just invite him and be like, just sit beside me. We'll go to lunch afterwards. I just want you to evaluate it. See what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, I'm gonna pray this over you. Everybody do it with me. Hold your hands. What I have is what God wants. Let me pray it over you and we're gonna sing. God, we give it to you right now. become. Join us in our vision here at Foundations Church. Services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and our youth service voltage is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more or get connected, join us online at foundationschurch.tv.